All right, good afternoon, New Philly. Uh, today, the sermon will be broadcast to all of our uh, church campuses. And so all five locations will be getting uh, the sermon today. Uh, last week, I was scheduled to preach. Unfortunately, I went to the ER because I have severe food poisoning. And I appreciate all of your prayers. Uh, I got better within two days. Uh, unfortunately, I caught... Uh, like a head cold, so uh, my nose is kind of running. So if I blow my nose in the middle of the sermon, just uh, just ignore it, and we'll be able to keep the flow, right? <clears throat> Last week, uh, Pastor John Michael, the campus pastor of New Philadelphia, he preached a message called "Stop Listening to Your Heart." You know, it's a very uh, important message, and uh, I got to discuss with him uh, the message this past week, and I just want to clarify a couple things about his message. Uh, I think the message, stop listening to your heart, is a very important one because the culture that we live in today encourages us just to blindly listen to your heart. And that just kind of becomes the mantra. Uh, it becomes kind of the, uh, the model by uh, which people live by. They govern their romantic relationships that way. They govern their decisions that way, job decisions, school decisions. Just, you know, follow your heart. And so Pastor John Michael is really... Uh, confronting that because out of the heart comes all kinds of evil, Jesus said. And so we, we, we can't just wholesale trust our heart. Uh, now, the thing that wasn't mentioned is that the goal of the Christian life is maturity, is completion, is perfection, is the Greek word telos. And the Apostle Paul talks about how he desires to admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that they may be presented perfect in Christ. The goal of the Christian life is maturity, is perfection, is completion, lacking nothing. That's the, that's the goal of the Christian life. And that should be the goal of every pastor on your behalf. And as you move to Christian maturity, the message, stop listening to your heart, will change for the sanctified heart. The heart that has been sanctified now, you need to start listening to that sanctified heart because God is going to speak through that heart. So for the young believer, you know, stop listening to your heart. But as you mature, you know, stop checking in with me about every little decision you want to make. You know what I mean? You need to go to your prayer closet and what's God saying to you? And your pastor should simply confirm what you heard in the prayer closet. That should be the goal of every Christian who is moving toward maturity. Now, there are a lot of Christians who don't move anywhere. And for those people, they just need to stick with this message. Just stop listening to your heart, and that's it. But, you know, those people are not a blessing. They're a burden because they're constantly coming to their ch- church leaders asking about every little question. You know, and so I just wanted to uh, make that clear that that's my heart, and that's also John Michael's heart uh, in that message, stop listening to your heart. Also, I want to mention that little video he showed in the middle of his message. Uh, We want to make it clear. New Philly does not believe that every song that has the words my way or listen to your heart uh, is inspired by the satanic church. Okay, it's not what we believe. Instead, we were encouraging you guys to be discerning of the spirit of the age because that spirit is contaminated. Most of these popular songs. And so we need to be discerning. You know, postmodernism was a great backdrop for Aleister Crowley, the satanic church founder, to come in and push his message. It's postmodernism set it up for that. 
And that's the kind of the spirit of the age that we live in, where you find your own truth. You listen to your own heart, you find your own truth. And Alastair Crowley's message of do what thy wilt, love is the law. You know, he tries to use that word love, but he's twisting that word love. You know, do what thy will, even if it means, you know, sexually abusing a child. You know, if that's love to you, you should do what thou wilt. That was Eliza Crowley's message. And the spirit of the age, the generation which we live in, made it right for that message to take root. And so what we're encouraging you through the video to do is simply to be discerning about the popular modern songs that you listen to. All right? Not that every one of these songs is demonic, okay? And Frank Sinatra was an ungodly man, all right? But, um, you know, some people will argue he had some influences with the satanic church. But, you know, let's not just do that, all right? Because in the 70s, a lot of traditional churches demonized rock and roll. And when the Vineyard Church started using rock and roll elements and drums, God forbid, into a church service, you know, a lot of Christian, uh, especially Baptist churches, traditional churches, they pushed back hard, saying that dancing and, and drums are from the devil, we don't ever want to fall into that kind of mindset. All right, God used hymnals and organs back in the day. But if he wants to choose to use an electric guitar and a drum set today, so be it. You got to move with the Holy Spirit. If he wants to use, you know, electronic keyboards and dum, 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 dum. If, if that's the next phase of praise and worship, you can't be like, oh, no, that's, that's not the rock and roll. That's not the uh, you know, style of music I know, you know. You got to learn how to move with it. If you're, if you're a teenage daughter or, or son is praising God to that music, don't demonize that because you're not familiar with it. Anyway, that's, I, I got to preach my message. <laughs> you know, my sermon a couple of weeks ago, Wisdom with Food, well, it got the most passionate and lengthy smart comments on the Facebook page, our church Facebook page. I read through about half the comments, couldn't get to all of them. And I appreciate those who understood what a great challenge it was to preach on this topic. And I loved reading your opinions, your concerns, your insights. So I encourage you to keep them coming. I must say that I was not intending to be comprehensive on the topic. I think it's unfair for you to expect me to be comprehensive and touch upon every little rebuttal that can come up from preaching on such a controversial topic as overeating and gluttony. Uh, But I do want to mention a couple of things that need to be addressed. You know, some people pointed out in their smart comments that eating disorders are sometimes symptoms of deeper psychological or emotional issues. And in these cases, it is more than just about appetite or body image. Now, I am aware of this, and I should have mentioned it. All right? Eating disorders was not the main topic of my sermon. So, you know, I I didn't feel the need to mention it, but I think I should have pastorally. You know, people who may be struggling that way, they may not understand the root causes of their eating disorder since I didn't mention that. And so though this is true, I want to point out that I personally think a good portion of eating disorders is driven by body image. This is not a scientific statement. Just this is my humble observation. Think of it this way. Uh, There's a lot of people with emotional wounds, uh, all kinds of psychological trauma. And they develop a variety of unhealthy means of coping with their emotional wounds. Be it through, you know, you've heard of all kinds of things like cutting. Uh, Some people act out in aggression and violence. Social isolation. uh, OCD type symptoms. 
Some people just got to control everything. They wash their hands a million times, right? As a form of control. And they have different coping mechanisms for these emotional wounds. But a lot of times, it is the desire to serve the body image idol, that ancient goddess of beauty, that drives people toward eating disorders as a coping mechanism. So although maybe the body image thing is not the main drive, there's an emotional wound behind it, usually the body image plays a role still. Even with people who are doing eating disorders out of emotional wounds, there's still, it plays a role in them move, moving toward that as the coping mechanism instead of this other kind of self-hatred and, and other kinds of things. You guys hear what I'm saying? With that said, there are some people who are in bondage to eating disorders, but they, it has nothing to do with an ex- obsession with vanity or body image. It just, it's just become their coping mechanism. They don't particularly want to get skinny or anything like that. It's just become their... Uh, their avenue, the means by which to deal with the pain and the hurts from their past. Um, whatever the case may be, all those with deep emotional roots to their eating disorder often need a variety of ministry, such as teaching, counseling, prayer, uh, a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, all variety of means in order to overcome their bondage Rather than just a rebuke and a call to repent, there, there needs to be this kind of support, community support. It's, not more, it's more than just willpower. You know? And so such people need that kind of support, and it's a process by which they overcome. So I want to thank Pastor Lydia of Pusan for pointing that out. So I thought that was worth mentioning, that we do need to uh, discern what are the root causes of people's eating disorders and provide the right ministry and support for them to help overcome it. And, and it's a process sometimes. You know? uh, if the eating disorder is symptomatic, it's important that we discern the root cause and show the appropriate amount of compassion. I also want to add that the same emotional wounds and psychological causes that can uh, cause uh, eating disorders can also be the root cause of overeating and obesity. And so perhaps a person may not exhibit signs of binge eating, but overeating is essentially the same thing to a lesser degree. And thus, compassion should also be applied to people who struggle with eating disorders, as well as people uh, who struggle with overeating, if the overeating is rooted in emotional wounds. All right, so everybody with me? Okay, so that's my heart. Um. Lastly, I want to preach that whether an eating disorder or overeating is driven by body image or rooted in emotional wounds, both persons still need to take responsibility for their bad habits. And there's got to be a place of repentance by which they start or they they arrive at in order to fully proceed with their freedom. Right? So once again, I'm thankful for all the smart comments. Keep them coming. Uh, A few Points, key points I'm going to drive home from that Wisdom with Food uh, sermon. Uh, two points I really wanted to drive home was, in the church, we got to start talking about food. Wisdom with food. Overeating, eating disorders, abuse of food should not be kept in the dark as a tab- taboo topic. Where we're afraid to offend people. Uh, we, should, uh, we should talk about it. We should be bold in talking about it if you're a leader in the church. 
And we should allow trusted leaders or or close friends in the church to have that kind of access and authority to speak into our physical health as much as they do in regards to our devotional life. Amen? Because we are holistic beings here. You know, just because our uh, quiet time life is doing well does not mean uh, that our whole life is doing well. And we got to stop dichotomizing. That's the second thing I really want to drive home from that sermon. Our views of spirituality should include the stewardship of our physical body. Jesus Jesus died on the cross to redeem and to restore our entire being. The Bible talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that our whole being, spirit, soul, and body may be sanctified. Somebody say sanctified. Soul, spirit, and body. What happened? Y'all, y'all weren't listening for a minute? What was that? <laughs> Soul, spirit, and body. So we got to stop dichotomizing. We got to stop separating soul and spirit from the body. All right? We got to be holistic about this. Whole, you're going to be healthy. You got to be healthy holistically. You're going to be sanctified. Be sanctified in all areas. Now, when we lack wisdom with food, we can fall into three kinds of poor health. Number one, overeating, the sin of gluttony, which can cause obesity or, or being overweight or obese. Number two, when you worship the idol of your belly or beauty, you fall into eating disorders. Okay? And number three, I forgot to cover. Okay, the third type of poor eating habits, when you lack wisdom with food, is when you look normal, slender, but inside your heart is a ticking bomb. There's a lot of people in our generation that are in this condition. They look normal. They are not overweight. They're not struggling with the eating disorder, but they is eating all kinds of junk food every single day. And by the time they reach 38, 36, I mean, they're getting the first like symptoms of heart disease. You know, the heart starts to palpitate and they're like, Beating their chest, trying to get it back into right rhythm. Okay, that's the third kind of condition. I forgot to cover that in my previous sermon. And so I want to mention that that is not glorifying to God. And that is not, me, that does not, that is not a good picture of your body being sanctified. All right, and so on the outside, it can be very deceiving is what I'm saying. All right, and so we got to really assess how a person's health is holistically. All right. Uh, oh, one more topic I want to cover from that last message. Body types. I didn't get into it. I had it in my notes. I ran out of time. I mentioned it briefly during the altar call ministry here at Hongdae, uh, but the other campuses didn't get this message. So I just want to re- mention body types. What is a normal body type? Yeah? What's a normal? Sam Yu, stand up right here. Stand- Sam Yu. Is there one of our leaders? All right, he's a fine young gentleman. Now turn around. Look at his body. All right. It's pretty healthy looking guy. Sam, do you exercise? Yeah, he does. Okay, there you go. He's eating right. He looks pretty healthy, right? All right, sit down. All right, here goes Joe Pang. Joe Pang, stand up. All right. Joe, Joe also exercises. Why don't you turn around? Just a little bit. All right, just a little bit. You know, that's what people who exercise a lot say. <laughs> I didn't say sit down, turn, turn around, look at the audience. All right, it's a fine specimen of a brother, okay? 
he is sanctified, soul, spirit, and body. All right? And he's trying to glorify God with his body. All right, you can sit down. But what is normal? What is normal? Do we just use a guy that looks fairly normal and then use that as a standard? Like what is normal for not just men but for women? What does a person with normal weight look like? And I think we tend to think of normal or beautiful very narrowly. And we allow popular media to shape our views way too much. We don't intelligibly think about how we are being inundated with popular media's image of beauty. And it's very narrow. And sadly, the church doesn't do enough to challenge these views. You know, there was a rap song in the 90s by a rapper called Sir Mix-a-Lot. And he brought a lot of healing to a lot of women. Now listen for a second. You younger folks may not know um, what this is. You can go look it up later, all right? The song, the song was called Baby Got Back. Listen, this is a social commentary. At a time when women's magazines only glorified women who were stick skinny, this song confronted that status quo and celebrated women with bigger backs. A bigger bottoms. Bigger bottoms. Now, the irony is, you, you wouldn't think of that, the song in that way, because the irony is the, the song, uh, the lyrics objectify women. Don't get me wrong. It definitely objectifies women. But it also challenged men and women everywhere to expand their definition of beauty. And the amazing thing is, it worked. Because after Baby Got Back just took over the whole, whole, whole of America and everybody was singing it, you know, within five years, uh, the, the view of men and women toward women with uh, uh, bigger, you know, bottoms, you know, more and more people celebrated that as being beautiful. Whereas before that, it wasn't the case. God has created the human body in a variety of shapes and sizes. And we have got to learn how to embrace this variety and expand our definition of beauty. Just because one person has a slender figure and another person has a thicker one does not mean the latter is overweight. Celebrate the diversity, brothers and sisters. If any place should celebrate that diversity, it ought to be in the house of God. You know, so, so many women, I mean, they killed themselves trying to fit this one image of beauty. You know, and we need, to, we need to help break those lies off the minds of women and off the minds of men. So we got to learn how to embrace all body types. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, there are certain people, you know, who have very chubby fingers and very chubby toes. And they, that may not fit the typical definition of beauty, but that is how God created some people. And we got to learn how to embrace all body types. Anyway, all right. 
Uh, let me preach the message. Turn to First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. Look at verse nineteen and twenty. I'm going to read in the ESV first. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And by the way, the Apostle Paul is very most definitely talking about sexual immorality here. But it can include a lot of other aspects that pertain to the human body. Uh, I'm going to read to you this Bible verse in the uh, message version of the Bible. The message written by Eugene Peterson isn't really a translation. It's just a paraphrase. But listen to this paraphrase. Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God pays such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. God owns the whole thing. Not just your heart. Not just your spirit. He owns the whole thing. Therefore, glorify God. Let people see God in and through your body. You know, when you're living like a slob and your heart is failing you and you got to take all this uh, high blood pressure medication and you're running out of money. You know, that that is not people are not going to see God in and through your body when you when you're letting your body deteriorate to that kind of condition. So how does one glorify God in his or her body? How can we let people see God in and through our body? So I talked about wisdom with sleep, talked about wisdom with food. Today I'm going to cover the last piece, wisdom with fitness. Everybody say fitness. If you're going to glorify God in your body, you cannot do so by sitting at a desk all day, then sitting in your car all the way home, and then sitting on your sofa watching TV and eating Lay's potato chips all night. Just in case you were wondering. (laughs) Even if you're getting plenty of sleep and not overeating, without fitness, your body will not function the way God created it to function. And things may begin to break down early and prevent you from fulfilling God's plans and purposes for your life. That's just the truth. So fitness plays a crucial role in your physical well-being. In you being able to function at an optimal level, whether that's taking care of your kids, doing your job, playing uh, uh, football with your friends. You know, fitness is going to play a crucial role in whether your body uh, functions at an optimal level. The author of Third John wrote about the importance of physical health. Third John 1, 2, he mentions it in passing. I'll read it to you in the New King James Version. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, I want you to prosper in all things. 
you know, the evangelical church, modern evangelical church has a phobia with the word prosper. But the Bible doesn't. And so, you know, in the ESV and some of the, you know, these other translations that are influenced by this movement, they take out this word prosper. Like wherever they can, they take it out the whole Bible. <laughs> really funny, really funny. But the New King James Version, you know, King James, you know, when he uh, authorized his version of the Bible, you know, of course, there were some, you know, some things that were questionable. But for the most part, he had access to some of the most original, earliest manuscripts at that time. And he authorized a, a very good literal translation. That's a very literal translation of the Bible. And so New King James is derived from the King James. And he talks about, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, that your body, your physical body may be in health. And that not only be in health, but that it may, you may prosper in all things, that you may, your body may prosper even as your soul prospers. And as Christians, when you come to church, what do you, the only message you, you hear is your soul's got to prosper. You got to shepherd, you got to get your pastors to shepherd your soul. You got to renew your mind. It's just all about the soul, mind, uh, heart, and will, but very few messages about the body. And the body not just functioning, but the body prospering. How many of you, you want to have a body that prospers? The rest of y'all. All right. I'm going to get you to want it. All right. That's my job today. <clears throat> if you want your physical body to prosper and you want to glorify God with your body, fitness is going to be key. Holistic health must aim for a sanctification of soul, spirit, and body. Turn to Second Peter 1, verses 5 and 7. This is kind of the main passage I'm preaching out of today. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 and 7. I'm going to actually read it to you in the NIV. Some of the words here in the ESV is a little bit clumsy. Let me just try to keep it simple. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. Read along in your, in your version of the Bible. I'm going to read it in the NIV. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And then to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. By the way, that's the word Philadelphia there. And, and to mutual affection, agape, or love. Okay? Seven things mentioned here. Add to your faith these seven things. How do you add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control? Perseverance. I'm, I'm going to tell you how. Fitness. Fitness. At least three of these seven. Fitness will actually help you to add these three things to your faith. I'm going to talk about three things here. It's the middle three here. I'm going to begin with knowledge. Number one, knowledge. Fitness can add to your faith knowledge. It's very simple here. Listen. The Bible uses several fitness analogies to teach us about spiritual truths. For example, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And everybody said, amen. Oh, wow. That's good. Author of Hebrews. Wow. 
Now, here's the thing. You've never ran in your life. Then this analogy is totally meaningless to you. But if you train for a marathon, you know, a couple months from now, and in the middle of that race, when you're about to give up, you push through and you finish. Later, when you meditate on this verse, it's going to unlock a rich meaning and knowledge that cannot be understood without that physical fitness experience. Y'all feel me? Real simple. You want to add to your faith knowledge? Try using some physical fitness. Because the physical fitness analogies in the Bible make sense the most to people who actually do physical fitness. Y'all know what I'm saying? You know? person sitting on their couch getting a bigger and bigger belly higher and higher blood pressure watching tv and they see a television commercial that's that advertises hebrews 12 1 you know is not going to get it so knowledge second fitness and sports can teach you a lot about self-control if you're struggling with self-control hit the gym take up a sport You know, some people can't get into sports unless there's some competition. If so, then join an intramural league or organize some kind of basketball tournament. And then, you know, collect your friend's money and have a prize, you know, big dinner for the team that wins or something. You know, if you need the competition to get you going, organize something like that. Get yourself going. First Corinthians 925 says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. You ever watch the Olympics and they do, do, they do some kind of video um, film project on the Olympic athlete right before they compete? You know, Michael Phelps, you know, this is his, uh, you know, 22nd gold medal he's going for this year. He's broken every record there is. And here is a little documentary showing Michael Phelps' uh, last four years of training. And then they show some video like how Michael Phelps wakes up at like 4.30 in the morning, right? And he, and he, and he eats like 24 egg whites, right? <laughs> and then he's listening to some hip-hop music and, you know, he's just getting ready for his race. <laughs> you know? And they're... And they show, whenever they show those videos of these Olympic athletes, what is the one theme that you always see across all of the videos? It's self-control. You never see like a video of like Michael Phelps, you know, watching TV. Yeah, today, you know, sometimes we train too hard, you know. And today I just need some Cheetos. And, you know, people think this doesn't work. But look, check this out. Eating as many as I want today. It's my cheat day, you know what I'm saying? You know, they, don't, they don't highlight that. Because any athlete who lives like that or trains like that, they ain't going to win a gold medal. And the Bible points that out for us. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, especially championship athletes. And as much as uh, Richard Sherman in the NFL annoys me to death, that young man has a very strong workout regimen. He has a very strong routine. Uh, Peyton Manning as well. He has a very strict routine that he sticks with, and he's very self-controlled about it. Now, I'll give you a little story of my own personal life. When I was a kid, I took karate lessons at a local recreation center provided by the city of Philadelphia. As many of you already know, my karate teacher was an African-American ex-Marine named Sensei Tyrone Wiggins. (laughs) True story. True story. 
And when I was under his discipleship, I learned so much about self-control. You know, because of all the violence I faced growing up on the streets of Philly, and because of my father's absence in my life, you know, I got to admit, when I was a kid, I had a tendency toward outbursts. You know, I just, I just would have these outbursts. And it would oftentimes get me in trouble. I would have outbursts at church. I would have outbursts at school. And all these outbursts. But under Sensei Wiggins, I learned that such outbursts were not okay. One time, I had a huge outburst in the dojo. That's the uh, karate school. That's the recreation center we called dojo, all right? And when my sensei heard about what happened, he brought me into the dojo. And he had me fight full contact with the entire school for 20 minutes straight in order to teach me the importance of self-control. And he did it with a straight face the entire time. And he, he used to call me Lee. Lee, you know what you did was wrong. That kind of behavior is not tolerated, not in my dojo. Anthony Cap- Capacero. Yes, sensei, oos. And he was like a purple belt. <laughs> and I was like a green belt. He's <laughs> like, full contact. Full contact on Lee. And he was like, full contact? Are you sure, sensei? And I was like, full contact? Are you sure, sensei? <laughs> and he said, he said, this man has disgraced my dojo. And he's got, he's got to learn. And so Anthony, he's my friend. And he went full contact on me. He has these crazy, like, spinning back kicks and stuff. I'm trying to, like, block them. And I, I thought he was going to control some of his kicks. But, I mean, they were, they were trying to, he was trying to deliver right onto my head, you know. And then my friend, um, my Vietnamese friend, Dewey Nguyen, you know, he came in. Dewey, yes, sensei. Full contact. Full contact. Two minutes straight. And so I got to fight my friend Dewey, you know. And that wasn't the worst, though. The worst was my African-American friends. Okay, I had a friend named James. He was a running back for a football team. He has the thickest legs I've seen to date. His legs were like tree trunks. All right? And when he would do a roundhouse kick, I mean, it would shatter your bones. Like, you feel it in your entire body, even if you block it. And my, my sensei makes James fight me. And then he made six-foot-two Tim fight me. This other African-American gentleman who used to go in the back of our dojo and break bricks with his bare hand. No joke. All right. And so uh, anyway, that day, without getting too, too into it, all right, I, I had to fight all my classmates, all the major belt ones. And uh, I got beat up bad. I got beat up real bad. And that day, my sensei taught me, you know, you got to be self-controlled. And that, that lesson stuck with me all my life. You know, I still had a couple outbursts here and there, but not nearly as many as could have just been destructive for my life. I really believe that that, that that experience, God used it to teach me self-control. He, you know, I was having Bible study with my white Bible study teacher at my Methodist church, Ted Turner, you know, real nice guy from the Midwest. You know, he had the hardest time trying to disciple all these like, urban Philly kids, right? We were like, just like straight up, like, just be re- in rebellion in the middle of his class. But he did not teach me self-control like Sensei Tyrone Wiggins taught me self-control. Well, that's, that's the thing. I think God really used my karate experience to help me gain self-control. 
And fitness has a tendency to do that, especially when you're trying to meet a goal, whether it's a championship or losing a certain amount of weight. When you have that goal in front of you, you exercise self-control in all things in order to achieve it. You pay whatever cost it takes to get that championship, to get that goal. So even today, when I hit the gym, it's easy for me to just jump right back in and just start lifting and, and then when I start lifting, I go home and I'm very self-controlled about what I eat. Just automatically. Because it's just built in. It's got, I got it under my belt. And the good news is when you have physical control, self-control, it can easily translate into your spiritual life. So you want to add self-control to your faith? Try some physical fitness. Third thing, fitness can teach you a whole lot about Perseverance. In my first year of high school, I joined my school's wrestling team. You know, having, take, having taken several years of Okinawa-style karate, I thought I knew what it meant to persevere. Where karate pushed me past my limits, wrestling taught me that there are no limits. How many of you in here, you've ever been part of a wrestling team for more than one year? Raise your hand. All right, my one lone brother there, he, you understand exactly what I mean. Wrestling is one of the toughest sports around, period. Some people will argue with me, you know, oh, no, it's football. Oh, no, it's basketball. When you do them drills, basketball ain't nothing on wrestling. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Waiting for that ball to be passed to you? Hey, knucklehead can run around until a ball gets passed to you. It's a game of skill. I understand that. And I don't have that skill, so I didn't play basketball. All right, but, but with, with wrestling, it is just raw power against power. It is about endurance. When skill levels are the same, it's about endurance wins you that match. Endurance and minimizing your mistakes. You know, karate is a very individual sport. You go to a competition, and if you win, you win alone. You master a certain kata, you know, and, and you perform it well with the beautiful form. Your karate gives you your... Your teacher gives you uh, the next color belt. But in wrestling, in order to win a match, although you have to go out there and compete alone, in order to win a match, the whole team has to pull their weight. You got to win and you got to win together. And so when you go into wrestling practice, you understand this psyche. So people tend to train and encourage each other because they know they need each other to win the championship for the whole, for the whole league. So my coach in high school, he was all about endurance. We have wrestling practice every single day, Monday through Friday. Saturday, you were supposed to go train alone. And you know what? I used to wake up at 6 in the morning and run over to Cardinal Dockety High School, which is this Catholic high school across the street. And I used to run that track at 6 in the morning all by myself, you know, thinking I'm a, I was shooting a Nike commercial. <laughs> you know? Just do it. Come on. Finish that finish the lap anyway uh every day we had practice for 45 minutes uh and the 45 minutes was uh i mean the practice was two and a half hours to three hours but the warm-up was 45 minutes of running up and down the school stairs so it was like five six floors up five six floors down five six floors up five six floors down and 45 minutes straight of this it is difficult to breathe there's no ventilation and one time i ventilated it right by opening the emergency door, 
And my uh, captain, my team captain was like, who the F opened this door? And I was like, oh, I guess we're not supposed to do that. Because <laughs> in wrestling, you got to sweat. You got to like lose as much weight as possible so you can weigh in at an optimal weight level. Anyway, I didn't know all that. So <clears throat> my first week of practice, I thought I was going to die in that stairwell. <laughs> but because I saw the upperclassmen, they would just push through without complaining. I just shut my mouth and kept going. A bunch of my Chinese and Vietnamese friends joined the team with me. And by the end of the week, no one remained but me. And I think it was my karate experience that taught me mentally to think, I can get through this. So I persevered through it. After 45 minutes of warm-up, we had to do 30 minutes of station drills. This could consist of wrestling spins, where somebody goes down, the other person spins around until the coach blows the whistle. Uh, it's very tiring, all right? I know it sounds simple. It's very tiring, especially when you've done 45 minutes of stairs. Uh, it could be pull-ups, rope climbing. And if you climb that rope, there's no safety uh, little thing for you, all right? You climb that rope and you get too tired, you die. <laughs> I mean, I mean for, those, for those who are that tired, they just didn't climb all the way to the top. But, you know, and they expected you to climb with just your arms, not no feet, you know? Sit-ups, whatever, right? We had these 30 minutes of station drills. And then the last hour would be when the coach spends time teaching, and then we will actually practice wrestling moves. And I thought the practice was unnecessary overkill until I had my third wrestling match. I mentioned my third one because my first two matches, I just pinned the dude in 30 seconds. I just went up to him, and I just manhandled him, and I pinned him. It was so easy, and I was like, I could do this. But by my third match, I, I... encounter some wrestlers from the suburbs who have been training their entire life. (laughs) And they forced me to go the distance. And that's when I thought during the middle of my match that my head and my heart was going to burst. I could feel my heart like pump. It was like, let me out of here. I can't pump any longer. I mean, it was like intense. And in those moments, I just wanted to give up. And I recalled feeling the same way during practice. And I remember finding the strength to persevere and push through a practice. So I thought, man, you know what? This isn't new. Mentally, I knew that I could break through if I only persevered. And so just as I'm about to give up, I just start thinking, I got to push through. I got to persevere. I got to persevere. I got to persevere. And then my coach and my teammates will be yelling out, you know, Christian, bridge, bridge, bridge. That's when you're about to get pinned and you put all your weight on your head and you use the neck muscles to come out of a, a pinning position. My, my team was like really good at practicing that. So we would actually practice where you would get up in that position with just all your weight on your head and your neck, right? And then somebody would sit on your thighs and then you would have to do this like on the ground. All right. I can't demonstrate anymore. All right? <laughs> I go, I think I'll be paralyzed if I try <laughs> But that's what good wrestlers, uh, you know, that's how they build up their neck muscles. And, and I knew a wrestler in Olney High School in Phil, inner city of Philly. His neck, muscle, his neck muscles were so big, it was bigger than his head. I kid you not. I kid you not. No joke. No joke. His neck muscles were so big, it was wider than his head. Sick, right? Anyway, you know, I hear my coach saying, Bridge! Bridge! Or if I'm about to pin the guy and I'm about to give up because I just no more energy, they'd be like, squeeze! 
squeeze, squeeze. And I just, yeah. All right, I won. Like, when you experience that burst of energy just when you're about to give up, you realize there are no limits. Most of it's mental. Your body has an amazing ability to push through. Marathon runners know this all the time. They get that second win, third win, fourth win. I don't know how many wins they need to finish the race, but they need a lot, a lot of endurance and perseverance. During the off-season uh, for wrestling, we'd have weight training. And that's when I learned the philosophy of one more. You know, actually, I've a, I found a video online that best encapsulates this philosophy beautifully. I just want you to check out this video here. All right, Westfall, you ready? All right, roll that. One more, one more! You gotta turn off the light, dude. One more, one more. One more, let's get it, let's go. Are you all right back there, Westfall? <laughs> all right. Anyway, if you watch the video at home, all right, it'll pump you up. Uh, it's a Gatorade commercial, uh, but they captured what goes on in like high school gyms and teams all over the country, typically in America in a given week. You know, you have all these young people and they're training to win a championship. And one of the things that they tell you in the weight room, you learn in the weight room and you apply it anywhere on the field. It's one more. And so in, in, when you lift weights, you know, you, you lift until you can't lift anymore, right? And so especially when you're bench pressing, if you can't lift anymore, like, you better stop, especially if you're alone, right? If you're alone and you can't, you can't lift anymore, you stop and you put it away, all right? <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not familiar with the weights, you try to do one more by yourself, you will die, all right, you're going to choke on the bar. You know, bar's going to go this way. You're going to look like an idiot. And man, I've seen so many of those kinds of guys in the weight room. Um, all right, one more is when, when, when you, you have like a friend with you and, and you're pushing it to your max. And you're like, I cannot push this bar up again. I can't do it. I can't do it. All right. And that's when my roommate, you know, my, my old roommate, James, you know, he's in the shinim service now. You know, he, we used to go work out together. And James would be like, one more, one more, one more. <laughs> right? That's what, I, I learned that from my wrestling days, you know. Uh, my wrestling captains would be like, come on, Christian, one more, one more, one more. And, and just the way they egg you on, you're like, wow. <laughs> All right, that's enough. And they're like, no, 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 one more, one more, one more. And you're like, what are, wait a minute, this is like three more. <laughs> they don't tell you that. I mean, they do one more until, like, literally you're about to, like, ah, help, help, help. And then they come and they lift the bar for you, right? But, but that philosophy of one more, when you get it in your system, it's, you're unstoppable. Like, you could be at, toward the end of a football game, basketball game, and you think you got nothing left in the tank. And your mental capacity says, no, there's one more. No, I can do one more three-pointer. 
No, I can get out there and, and hit, that, hit that A gap for, another, uh, for a touchdown. And, and good athletes who have learned perseverance through fitness, they can get in there and they can hit that hole and get the touchdown, the game-winning touchdown. You know, when you, whenever you see a good NFL Super Bowl game where it's neck and neck to the end, all right, it's those athletes who have physical conditioning and, and perseverance that are able to mentally stay stable, manage the clock, and able to get that game-winning touchdown. Somebody like Tom Brady does it like over and over again. Ben Roethlisberger. These are like NFL quarterbacks that have been known. They have a reputation for being able to not break under pressure. You know what they call that? They call that being clutch. When, when the game is on the line, going out there and winning it. You know what? So many Christians, they give up before the, the game even starts. Or they get into that kind of position and they call it quits with a quickness. Because they, got, they don't have an ounce of perseverance in them. And when you look through Christ, the church history, whenever there's like a war, whenever unexpected things that violate our views of God's goodness or shallow views of God's righteousness come and just shatter our, our known world, so many Christians, they don't persevere. They just call it quits. And I believe a big key for the church, one way, one practical way that the church can persevere to the end is actually through something as simple as physical fitness. You know, in ministry, it gets hard. There have been many times where I wanted to quit. Or at least I felt that. People bombarding me with all kinds of issues. People disagreeing without understanding where I'm coming from. Or like I get a discernment in the place of prayer, right? I'm convinced of one thing, and then in the place of prayer, the Holy Spirit prompts me, this is not the real situation. This is the situation, and you need to go confront them. And I'm like, no, Lord, that's, everything's good. We're we're good. I don't want to confront that person. And the Lord says, no, this is what is going on in their hearts. You've got to confront them. You know, and, and for me to go and confront them and see their face all bitter and angry at me, because they're all thinking, I, I'm, you're totally misunderstanding me, Pastor Christian. But being able to persevere through that and staying steadfast, and then later on, they get convinced of what was really going on, and then they confess and repent, and then they say, oh, Pastor Christian, thank you. Thank you for like, being, loving me enough to confront me. And issues that I, I didn't even know I was struggling with. You know, easy for you. <laughs> but somebody had to carry you to that point of revelation and truth. And only strong pastors who have that perseverance in them can do that for people again and again and again and again for five different campuses. Not that I'm doing that all by myself. You know, I delegate some of that to my campus pastors, right? Y'all do some of this, all right? Share in the suffering. <laughs> but I'm telling you, physical fitness can teach you a lot about uh, perseverance. It can add fa- uh, perseverance to your faith. You know, as I reflected on preparing this message, I realized that my leadership ex- uh, style has been very shaped by my sports experiences. And so if you've never played a team sport, you may find it difficult to submit to my leadership. Because of my experiences in team sports, I'm going to push you guys in ways that other pastors will never even dare. 
But because my thinking is like this. See, I don't want to lead a bunch of Bible obese slops. I'm here to raise up an army of mighty warriors. And so this is the way I think. If people can submit to a sports coach and push themselves past their limits in order to attain a perishable prize, how much more should the church do so to attain an imperishable one? And that's exactly the message of 1 Corinthians 9. I'll read it to you in the message, the paraphrase. It says, you've all been to the stadium. And you've seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, but only one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. But you're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then missing out myself. It's a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. You know, in my karate school, there was a saying, if the sensei is extra hard on you, he's showing you extra love. He's not hating on you. He sees your potential and he's trying to bring it out. You know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, Anna Rowe, you know, I might be a little hard on Anna Rowe, you know, but Anna, it ain't, it ain't hate, it's love. I'm being hard on you because I know that if I challenge you, it's going to bring out the best in you. And I, I just feel like that's going to be my leadership style. It's just what it is. And I believe that we need leaders like me. Y'all need me. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to close with this. So how much fitness do I need in my life? All right, it might be the wrong question to ask, but I'm going to actually answer that question first. How much fitness do I need in my life, right? The answer is it depends, right? And so if you're an athlete and it's your profession to train physically and compete, then you've got to include a whole lot of fitness in your regimen. In order for you to excel and be your best. If you're not an athlete. And you have, a, you have a job. But your job has no physical fitness commute involved. For example. You just walk to your car. You drive. You walk from the parking lot to your office. You walk to the uh, water cooler. You walk back to your office. You walk to your car. And you drive home. And you walk to your couch. Okay. If, if you don't have a robust commute in your daily schedule, then you need to hit the gym and do some exercise because your heart might be a tipping, tick, ticking bomb. You know, even the president of the United States understands this. You know, he gets driven around everywhere. And so he understands that he doesn't have a robust commute. I mean, he, even if he wanted to, he can't take the bus and the subway. You know? <laughs> and he gets driven around everywhere. So what does he do? Every U.S. president recently, you know what they do? They have a regular jog. And for Obama, he even quit smoking so that his body can be optimal so that he can serve the free world optimally. The, the president of the United States understands that enough. How much more you is the assignment God has given you less important than the assignment given to the president of the United States? 
Probably. <laughs> but, but. <laughs> what, what, what you want me to be like? Oh, it's more important? I mean, it's probably not as important. But, but you still, you, you should, you should do as he does. Stay in optimal condition. No sloppy living. Third kind of people, you know, they have a regular job and they have a good, robust commute. Uh, if your commute consists of walking and taking the subway stairs for a total of 20 minutes each day, usually 20 minutes is a good amount of physical exertion causing your heart rate to go above its normal rate. You got to go for about 20 minutes, right? Even if it's 10 minutes, 10 minutes, it actually makes a huge difference in somebody who just drives. And so Aaron and I, you know, Aaron's like seven months pregnant, you know, six months, something like that. <laughs> What's the difference? Six and seven. Six and a half, whatever. Anyway, I, I, I don't think in weeks. I think in months. So I'm always, she's always like, 22 weeks. I'm like, what, what is that divided by four? <clears throat> anyway, we're like six, between six and seven months, right? But she still takes the subway, you know? Because actually good prenatal doctors will tell you, you know, keep doing exercise. Walk around if you don't have it in part of your lifestyle because it's actually going to help you to have a healthy delivery. Can we turn on the AC over here? Uh, so if you have a strong, robust commute, you can actually get away with not engaging in physical fitness if you eat right. That, I think that's just the truth. All right? You can still get away with it. Okay? But I think that's just the, uh, the wrong question. You know, how much fitness do I need? The minimal do I need just to function? That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Right? How can we glorify God with our body? How can we prosper in all things, including our physical body? Well, I think that means pushing your body to optimal levels, and that can only be achieved through fitness. So there's a lot of wisdom in fitness. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been engaged in fitness for a while, to kind of renew your commitment, jumpstart it, and see how the Lord uses that to really teach you about all kinds of aspects of your life, all kinds of wisdom pertaining uh, to your spirituality as well as your health. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close my message now. <clears throat> Father, we uh, know that you've given us just this one life to live and you've given us this one physical body to steward. And I pray that in this room, in this room will rise up disciples. Not just disciples that are spiritually obese and living like slobs, but warriors, athletes that are training to win. They're not just training to run. But they're training to win. No more sloppy living. Understanding that their physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And they were bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ shed to sanctify soul, spirit, and body. I pray that they will begin to honor you with their body in ways 
that they never even attempted before. And I pray that as they are more wise with their body, sleep, food, fitness, that you will add to their faith, virtue, goodness, and to that goodness, knowledge, to that knowledge, self-control, to that self-control, perseverance, and godliness, and Philadelphia, and brotherly affection, and agape, unconditional love. Add to our faith these things in increasing measure, Lord, that we may be a church community that glorifies you in every way. I just hear the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear. It's not okay to abuse your body. And it needs to stop. Some of you are engaged in sexual immorality. That's very dangerous. It's very high risk for all kinds of disease. Or even AIDS. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, stop, that is not okay. I sent my son to die to sanctify that physical body you're abusing. Some girls in here, you're struggling with with self-hatred. It's not okay to abuse your body. Stop abusing your body. Satan is continually lying to you The Holy Spirit today is speaking to you and he's highlighting truth from the word of God. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Stop binge eating. Stop it. If there are emotional roots ask God and ask church leaders to help you to get to those roots but stop tolerating a life where you are abusing your body God loves you too much to leave you alone to deal with it on your own he wants you to experience healing and freedom And in Christ, there is hope always for healing and freedom, no matter how many years you've struggled with it. So, Father, I just pray on behalf of every son and daughter in this room. And I just repent on their behalf for abusing their bodies Father forgive them for many times they're so lost and caught up in trying to numb their pain trying to run away from their fears trying to deal with their anxiety trying to brush off their feelings of depression oftentimes they don't know what they're doing Lord I pray you forgive Forgive those who are abusing their body. 
putting their body at risk. And I'm praying right now for your healing to pour out like water. Pour out like water. Even physical conditions they develop as a years of abuse on their body, I pray you would heal now. By the anointing of your spirit, bring healing now. Healing now. Do only that which you can do by your grace. Make all things new. Heal the body. Heal the heart. Praying that right now. For every son and daughter. Yeah, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's moving in this room in that way. I want to ask everyone just to stand up as we sing and worship the Lord with this song. I just feel like the Holy Spirit's going to continue to touch several of you in here. Bringing healing and freedom. So just focus your eyes on Jesus. And just celebrate and bless what He's doing here. Come on.